Welcome to the final. I'm Rob Murphy. This is day 24. Kieran O'Hara, welcome along. Hallelujah, brother. We are here. I cannot believe we've made it. We have made it to the summit, Sherpa Tensing. Let's keep getting this done. It's a, it's a new month. We're six days into a new month. I missed that somewhere along the way. Mick Foley, welcome along. Hey, Rob. How are you doing? You still with us? I, I'm here. I'm here. I'm ready to start watching the Euro 92 qualifiers in a few weeks. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> it's some good games there. You you have effectively decamped to the early nineties. This is the this is the effect of Italia ninety. I'm going back to live in autumn nineteen ninety. Is that the plan? Absolutely. I'm very excited about the Democratic presidential race. This Bill Clinton lad, keep an eye out for him. He's <laughs> he's got game. Um, I'd say he's got a story. <laughs> he's got a story. There's a podcast there, lads. Billy Joe Patton, welcome along. It's great to be back again, uh, Rob. Uh, finally there. We've made it all the way to the end. Uh, I have to say some people did heavier lifting than others. But, you know, just because people might have been on every day doesn't mean that they had to sit through Ireland and Egypt. So, you know. No. What's You're the old Bill O'Hurley line? I wasn't there every day. I was there on the important days. <laughs> no, it's true. I, I think some people might realise we divvied up the games. I just watched the highlights of that game. Billy Joe Padden actually had to sit through the whole game. And I think it was a very warm day too. I think you missed a nice day out in the sun. I, I actually sat in the back garden with my iPad watching it. And when I came in, I was squinting so badly. I, I don't know what was wrong with my eyes, the glare, but I just couldn't bear to sit inside and, and not enjoy the sunshine. That definitely wasn't glare. That was just sheer, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> my eyes. Well, we have our Egyptian football correspondent on the line. Colin Sheridan, welcome along. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, sad, very sad to be at the end. Sadder still that we didn't uh, all unionize. Uh, a month ago, because I think the, uh, <laughs> there's been a fair few breaches of the EU work time directive, that's for sure. Um, you're like Bill Simmons, Rob, what you're doing to us. Anyway, we're there. <laughs> We've got a final to talk about. What a game it was. Let's hear the commentary from German national television as the World Cup was won. We'll even throw in the penalty. So, genug der Prognosen. Hoffentlich trifft er. Das ist das einzig Wichtige. Breme gegen den Elfmeter-Töter Goikvocea. Day 24, July the 8th, 1990, World Cup Final, West Germany 1, Argentina 0. Yes, where to begin? I'll start with you, Mick. Ooh, that was traumatic. Thanks. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was traumatic. Do you know what? And I'm going to put Did you say traumatic or dramatic there, Mick? Oh, traumatic. I'm going to put this out to the rest of the support group as well, because I'm not sure... I'm not sure what I'm feeling right now. 
Um, I'll tell you what it is, right? I I watched the game expecting it to be like irredeemably awful, right? And it was really bad, okay? But on another kind of, le- I'm not even going to say another level, just in another way, I found it kind of compelling, right? Because having sat through all the games that we've sat through and seen Argentina all the way from the beginning to the end, you're kind of gobsmacked at the fact that they are no better in the last game than they were in any other match. In fact, in those ways, they were worse. I don't think they actually made Ilgner, the German keeper, make a save until the last five minutes of normal time. And even that was a really watery, weak header that really wasn't, if that had gone in, it would have been an absolute scandal of an error. But like, I was kind of going, it's kind of, I'm watching, I'm watching Germany and they're doing all the things that every other team, team has tried to do to Argentina. And it takes on the last five minutes for a penalty for Andy Bremer to win the game. And in that way, it's kind of compelling. I found it. I found it just compelling watching Argentina just sitting back doing nothing and Germany patiently keeping doing the same thing, trying different things, trying different things, not losing faith and really not panicking and finally getting there in the end. But at the same time thinking, Jesus, if they hadn't got that penalty, where the hell was this game going? Penalties, unquestionably. Argentina's whole intention once they start this game minus four starters is let's just get to penos and rely on Sergio and goals again folks it felt that way it felt that way and you know they really I mean when I say for people who don't who neither remember it and don't want to or those who do and don't want to go back they brought in in attacking terms nothing like one of the best lines of the whole thing my German isn't great the feed I watched it on was German commentary, same as Rob. And they had Guido Buchwald marking Diego Maradona. And after 20 minutes, Buchwald has made more attacking forays into the Argentinian half than Maradona has even had touches of the ball. And the German commentator, I've kind of figured out, is saying, who's the attacking player here, Buchwald or Maradona? And that's that's it. You know, it's like, oh my good God. I mean... I would I would say even the Germans' minds about this game must have been slightly frazzled by the, what actually came up against them. They were presumably expecting Argentina, even with all the guys missing. And in fairness, let me just say about that, right? Okay, Kinesia was missing Justi and Olarte Gochea. Um, I'd say Bellardo secretly probably wasn't uncomfortable with Kinesia missing. Batista was another guy who was missing. He had played himself out of the competition before that. So Justi and Alarte Gochea were the guys. Like, But I'd say, they were, I'd say even the Germans were amazed at how god-awful Argentina were. Because you expect them to lift it for... You expect any team to lift it for a final. But they singularly did not. Billy Joe, any sort of counterbalance to that or take it further into the steps of a dreadful display in the World Cup final? Um. I'm not so sure that the Germans expected anything different because Kieran said a couple of minutes ago, the one thing that impressed me about the Germans watching it back was that they didn't lose their head. Like maybe you could say that Italy did a bit in the, in the semi-final because when you add up the chances, Voller had a couple of chances in the first half, Litbarski started second half, Voller again. Like all, And I do think if any one of those go in, Germany win the game comfortably. But... I think that the, the Franz Beckenbauer must have been doing a job by basically saying, if these guys start playing for penalties, you know, you just got to keep doing what you're doing, keep 
passing the ball, keep moving around, don't lose your head. And they, they did that. But you're, but I, I have to agree with Mick there. Like, I'm so glad to see the back of the Argentinians. And I never thought I'd say that with a team that had Diego Maradona in it. They just looked so... They just had no other... He had no help. And the thing that kind of I nearly admire about watching him, and it's only through body language afterwards, is that he never seems to get demoralized by the rubbishness yeah. that's around he him. He never gets cross. He never gets angry yeah. with anybody. Like, Yeah, and if that was, you know, like take the, the his peers now, whether it be Messi or Ronaldo or players like that, they'd be losing their mind, and kind of rightly so. I, I just couldn't get over watching the fact that he never just, he never lost it with any of them. But ultimately, is that not the point? Like, this is Diego Maradona's resignation. And this is the last meaningful game that Diego probably plays. You know, you know, in, in, in many ways, that in the, in the world, like, all right, the World Cup in 94, but in terms of what he could have achieved or could have won something. And I, you, I was kind of just watching it in the closing stages and just seeing, there was, you know what, Kieran, you're probably, there is an element of resignation to his facial expressions going through those, going through those motions, really. Yeah, he handles the ball at one stage, Colin, in the clo- just before the, the second red card, and uh, he, I just it was kind of an odd reaction for Maradona. It, it was a real. That's where probably Kieran's getting the feeling for me. He just he didn't even debate it. He kind of just smiled and went, "Yeah, you got me there." Yeah, he, he had the the look of a man and the gait of a man who was just absolutely bet by it all, and um, it was just kind of a sad end, knowing what was coming next. Uh, it's kind of sad to know that he said that that was his last meaningful. Uh, game for Argentina um, but yeah just to go back to the broader point about what Mick was saying I did find it compelling I have to say I, I think I was set up to watch a more dour game um, or an uninteresting game where like a lot happened uh, a lot happened in this game a lot of it obviously was negative from the point of view of the Argentinians and it is hard to know what they're how they thought they were well it's not hard to know actually they, they said it afterwards in any of the um the comments that i've read about their criticism especially of the referee afterwards were uh that uh all he wanted to do cut a cell the referee all he wanted to do was deny us from going to penalties they ended themselves uh, admitting there and then after the game that that was the only way they felt themselves they were going to win it so yeah it was compelling to watch it a huge amount happened i think billy hit it in the nail on the head though one of those early chances goes in and uh, it was lights out for Argentina. But honestly, the, 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 the one huge bit of joy I got out from watching this game was Andreas Bremer. I mean, I remember, I guess at the time, knowing that he was like a class footballer, but this guy was like at the, you know, every good thing that happened for West Germany early on in that game, the chances he created with his uh, deliveries, left and right foot, big mad Greg Norman heading him. Um, just <laughs> class. But a class act, and like I read somewhere since, I think that he scored a penalty in the 1986 World Cup with his left foot, and that yeah. really is enough. That, I, I have to admit, I was thinking the same thing that how how impressed he was, and I was just there thinking, hold on a minute here, didn't he take that free kick against England with his left foot? You know, the one that looped up, and it, and uh, and now that Colin mentioned it, I, I might have a vague recollection of that 86. Uh, my, my Germany might have been wearing green that day when he took the penalty with his other leg. Like, how do you even come to the which in a World Cup final? Which one do you decide on? Will I hit it with my left or will I hit it with my right? And in this game, in this game, Billy, same thing. A couple of brilliant deliveries, uh, dead ball deliveries with his left foot. But the fact that we're going to like the German left back and his dead ball deliveries in the game for the kind of creative highlights uh, of of the match kind of speaks to, to to what happened. But yeah, I mean, they had enough good chances early that it could have been a different story. I do think Mateus had a very good game as well. He was trying to create something. 
Well, his his run and pass, was, you know, for the voller, you know, the penalty, it was him showing a bit of, I suppose, impetus, really, you know, driving through that area like that we'd seen a lot of him doing the World Cup and a perfectly weighted pass for Voller to take on the half turn. Was it a penalty? I, I, I definitely think it was a penalty. Yeah, so do I. So do I. I think a uh, cl- clumsy, uh, clumsy challenge. I know that's not what it ch- doesn't matter whether it was clumsy or not, but I, I thought it was a penalty. Yeah. About about seven or eight minutes before that, though, and I maybe I kind of it's the one moment I wish I'd rewinded and had another look at. Actually, Mateus did foul an Argentinian. Yes, and it, that looked like that looked like a penalty to me. And just his reaction, Mick, it just, you knew from Mateus, he was like, oh, and the commentators <laughs> were, everyone was like, oh, I think Argentina had a case there. Uh, but uh, lads, like, I mean, there's so many incidents to talk about, right, uh, in terms of drama. Well, there's not a lot, but there's one specific incident that we got to talk about, which is Pedro Monzon uh, getting sent off. First it, player in a World Cup final to be sent off. What, like, uh, there, do people talk about, like, Klinsmann throws his legs up into the air, so it's typical Jurgen Klinsmann, but it's also... Like it's like something out of a movie in terms of he slides in in the most spectacular, dangerous, pointless, not trying to get the ball. Well, not pointless. Point. There was a clear point to it, which was to take Klinsman out. Was it a straightforward call? I think it it was because it's, it's, he launches himself at Klinsman. Yeah. Now I think that Klinsman sees it coming enough that he can he can manipulate that he knows that his legs are off the ground so he won't you know there won't be too much damage done if if he was get hit. But the bit you know the bit I loved about that was Klinsman does about three rolls across the ground after his dive and then he kind of half gets into that worm dance move where he kicks his legs up in the back. It's really impressive. I thought he was busting a groove there for a minute. All I was expecting him to do is worm all his way to the end line. You have then, you have now gone full 1990 in the terminology. I know. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a groove. That's exactly. exactly. Googling terms now going, what's he, what's, yeah. what's the what now? <laughs> anyone, anyone, anyone that busted out the ghetto blaster and a, a sheet of lino and tried to do a bit of dancing in the front. In the oh front God, Google, Google Google's, no. Google is melting down now. Ghetto blaster, <laughs> uh, busted groove. <laughs> hey, if you want to wear that cool West German shirt, you got to understand the culture came from them. Yeah, yeah. So that was de- that was the, the impressive thing. But look, it was crazy tackle, like absolute. I don't even I don't even know how a team that had the mindset, which I completely concur with, as everyone else has said, were playing for penalties. How a player can just go off script so much in that regard. Okay, pull a jersey or don't let a fella go to ground, but don't try and decapitate him. Colin, defend Argentina a bit. Is there any defence? Because you made a, a very passionate defence of Argentina in the semi-final, which started to make me think, yeah, you know what, maybe we not. We need to look at them differently. This final really has tarred their image uh, in this World Cup. Yeah, I was I was on board uh, after the semi-final. I that Leonard Cohen line of, you know, we are ugly, but we have the music. I kind of felt that that's the kind of vibe they were going for. And, um, Another Googleable you know, expression. Were, yeah, I mean, <laughs> but no, it's, it's, but at least in the semi-final, you know, they went to go down to a very good Italian team and they went looking for, and, and like, they were good value, I have to say, for their uh, equaliser in that game. And there was something romantic about them winning, how they won in Naples against the hosts, etc., this, they just went the other way. And it's nearly as Mick said that they just wrote off the fact that because they didn't have Kennedy on, on the pitch and maybe that did suit their mindset that they were just going to absolutely try and negate. Uh, I don't, I can't, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying here, Rob, but as I'm talking, I'm, I realize there's, there's nothing uh, like the best player in the world at the time. You know, he didn't have one moment close to even what Mateus had in, in that final sending off. I mean, yeah, Klinsman, I mean, Klinsman, like he saw the traffic turn at the Trevi Fountain, he jumped so high, uh, like, and, and even for the second, the second red card, there was definitely a bit of, was it colder? 
I got the neck pulled and you know yeah. there was a bit of play acting in that as well. But you can't like if you're if you're the West Germans at that point, you're you're like like this, you know. I think one of the fascinating things along this has we we've we've learned a bit more about Carlos Bellardo. And I don't think any of what we've seen should surprise us now with the little bit that we learned about him when and the culture he came from at Estudiantes. Yeah, absolutely. And funny you should say it, because that's what I was thinking. Whenever the, the camera flashed to him on the bench, I was thinking, eh, we know a little bit more about you now than what we did when they were playing Cameroon. And kind of looking at the way we were playing. I'm sorry, though, I'm, I'm still paused, stone dead at Billy Joe's team talk to the lads before they go out. Lads, do whatever you need to do to slow them down. Pull jersey, whatever you need to do. But lads, for God's sake, don't decapitate them. <laughs> do we need do we need do we need to Stick spell it to out the like, script. Don't, don't decapitate them but like in that in that little in about the five minutes before the sending off things are sort of actually it's, it all went a bit um, to paraphrase Father Todd Unctious uh, from Father Ted it was the way things were going um, like I, I think Maradona Maradona got dropped with a bit of an elbow he got a bit of a slap to the face then Buchwald who was Mark Maradona's got a slap in the vicinity of Maradona. He went down. And then you had, you had Manzan diving, <laughs> diving with severe prejudice at, uh, at Klinsman. Like, I mean, it was just insane. And I just like, all of, everything what the lads are saying there, like is absolutely it. I mean, if you're going out to try and play for penalties, there is, there is actually an inherent discipline to trying to play for penalties and to try to drag this game out as long as humanly possible. They showed, and actually it was also interesting, I know, did you notice this, lads, but I thought anyway that the Germans were visibly deferential to the referee. They were being very calm and nodding. I mean, Vuller got a, took a yellow card at one stage, I think for giving Maradona a bit of a kick, and he took the yellow card, no problem. Like the Argentinians were going nuts, and he was just standing there and he nodded and he took, he took his yellow card and that was fine. Bremer, the same even for the penalty, wasn't looking at Goy Kache really, kind of looking at the referee for instruction. But generally speaking, he was just focusing, looking at the football and getting ready to hit it. It was like, in comparison to the Argentinian aggression in the face of the referee, whenever things get, went really against them, the Germans were very almost d- deliberately placid and passive and sort of trying to play themselves up as the good guys here. I, I thought that was seriously impressive in terms of Bremer. Like he didn't go and say, "Oh, stood ten yards away and wait for the referee to sort out." He literally stood with the ball on the penalty spot with four or five Argentinians in his face, in the referee's face, and it looked like he was just, you know, walking around on a Sunday afternoon, like no pressure. It was fr- incredibly impressive. He took control, didn't he? He just took yeah. control of the situation without saying or doing anything. He was actually the guy in control. Now, we've gotten too far into the game and missed one of the more sensational pre-match moments. Did anybody notice or was anybody able to read Diego Maradona's lips <laughs> yeah, yeah, during yeah, the anthem? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah well, your Spanish, your Spanish translation might be better than mine. but I, Well, I, I'm, I'm loath to use the English translation of what he said, but you can lip read it very clearly. The Italians in the crowd and the Germans are booing during the anthems and you can see him say he just a puta yeah he said it about three times or twice or three times directly and he he, he knows exactly what he he's knows doing. He, and he, he he knew it could be read on television he was playing to a particular audience and it just for those that want to paint him as this martyr for the underdog they'll they'll say yeah he was responding to a, an inherent bias against him but to those who want to lay into him it's just more evidence but it's very it, it, it's it's Collins it's it's also petulant isn't it it's also emotional it's it's like and at this stage like it's like 
he's just crying out in anger at them. He's disappointed by them a little bit as well, isn't he? Yeah, and it and disappointingly it didn't translate into you know anger in his play. Sometimes you can see that with players where like even Keane, I suppose, is a good example of it where he could channel it into uh, aggression on the uh, pitch, um, positive aggression, I guess, and that it would affect things positively on the pitch. But just with Maradona, I mean, his his first touch in the game, uh, miscontrolled, greeted with like rapturous noise from the crowd, who absolutely loved the fact that he lost the ball, and I mean. It's, it goes back to what the guy said earlier on. It's like it nearly, it must have felt like for him, who knows, but it must have felt like for him that he knew that even if he did, even if there was a moment of magic for him, even if he tried to take control of the game, like who was maybe going to help him? And it also seemed to be not part of the plan. But you'd also have to wonder that a guy so talented, so gifted, was so headstrong that he could accept playing to that rigid uh, Milardo, uh, you know, game plan where... It literally was, and as Mick said, actually, it's not an easy thing to do, like to, to literally play uh, for a draw, for a goalless draw. But it, it was, and you can see even Maradona at the end, the famous kind of uh, images of him arguing with the referee and his face, and he's on, on, on the verge of tears himself. But there was far more energy directed towards that, unfortunately, than there was to, to be something uh, to do something creative. It's a it's a sorry sight, really, in those closing stages, and a lot of these Argentinian players never never graced the world stage again. In fact, in a weird sort of way, Billy Joe was the start of like just a bad period for Argentina. We know the way '94 went, and we know some of the troubles that came from Maradona. Difficult time ahead for them. It was, but if anything, okay, they didn't produce the the maybe the talent. Uh, you know, no, you don't ever produce a talent like Maradona. You don't ever come across. You know, he's a once in a like you know century type of footballer. Um, but they did they did have many many much more talented teams, I'd say, in general than that 1990 team afterwards. But I think what they struggle for is because of this element of Bilardo and the snideness of the tactics and the idea that, you know, you do whatever uh, you do, you can do to win, kind of, I think it upset them and that if they just focused on I suppose playing football, and uh, I suppose more so the philosophy philosophy about how you play football as opposed to that philosophy of how of which they also love of doing anything, whatever it takes to win, and I think that they've really struggled. They've struggled for that, I think, ever since, and they don't they don't really have a situation apart maybe from that time. I think it was in in the oh six. The World Cup, where yeah, I think Pe- Jose Peckerman was the manager, and he had been involved with a lot of the underage teams, and they had Raquel May in the team, and they were a passing team during that World Cup. And I think that's probably the only time I can remember where you could say, okay, they have an app- a dedicated way of playing, as opposed to just relying on individual talents or two or three exceptionally talented forwards. That's probably been the case for Argentina a lot, though historically. I mean. God, I, I don't have I don't have the memory or the or I haven't gone back to look at them way way back in into the depths. But like, I mean, if you think in 1966, I mean that's that's remembered uh, for for uh, Ratine getting sent off, wasn't it against England mm-hmm. uh, yeah. at that time? Like the 78 World Cup. That's I mean Mario Kempes, okay, Passarella, Ardiles, but I mean they're not they're not a, a loved and 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 remembered team. Uh, 82, 86 is the Maradona final in 90, of course. And as you say, then you're up to you're up to that whole six team, and even the Messi teams of the last couple of years, or the last couple of tournaments, I should say, the World Cup tournaments haven't haven't really done it. And uh, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing for 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 a nation with such a such a successful and proud history uh, in global football, in global international football, that they actually haven't produced that many 
really brilliant teams and that. But one, I just, I'd be curious to know what the lads think. I mean, did they have any other choice other than to go out and take the four players missing out of it, but just look at the totality of the tournament and what Argentina brought to it. Did they have any other choice other than to go out and play the way they did against, against Germany in that final? No, because I don't think they were any good, really. Like a couple of good players throughout, but you know, a, a team with more ability would have showed you something at some stage, you know, where you, there would have been periods. And a, apart from what Colin says, that 15, 20 minute period after half time against Italy was the only. That was that was kind of that was more the exception than the rule. That was totally out of the blue. If you take the rest of the tournament into context, so just let's take Germany for a second here. It's kind of here's an analogy for you, Colin. It's kind of like a house party. You've thrown it. It's been brilliant. Everyone's enjoyed themselves, but one person has got drunk, fallen down, smashed a few things, and that's all anyone's talking about. Look at us talking about Argentina for the last uh, fifteen minutes when West Germany have put on an incredible tournament, if not maybe an incredible final, but they certainly were by far the better team. And yet this World Cup is still remembered for Argentina's tears and complaints and grumbles. It's a good analogy, Rob. It's a controversial one uh, mm-hmm. of its time. Mm-hmm. How, how many people were at this house party? <laughs> Look, okay, so there was, I set up, uh, so never mind, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll um, you're, you're right, Rob. I, I guess the, the thing you could even sense at the time was how little they cared about that. And I think uh, mm. the most telling moment, and that was, again, was Bremer and the ball, because everything that was happening around the, the penalty spot at that stage, and he just didn't care. And with the second yellow card, again, if it was, I might be mistaken, but if it was Kohler who, who got dragged down by the neck and that kind of look he gives, you know, when he gets back up and he's still rubbing the neck and he's walking away, they just, they don't care. The narrative has been written as that game uh, unfolds that Argentina are losing their minds. And that's, you know, this nearly as if uh, West Germany can hear John Motson's commentary about how this isn't, you know, fit for the final top stuff. They don't care. And you've always, I've always felt that from German uh, teams, to be honest, uh, since. Um, like it, we spoke about it in one of the earlier podcasts about how Matthias probably never got the credit he deserved as a player and probably didn't get what he deserved in that tournament, the credit he deserved as a player. Um, but, you know, it's the kind of you know, history will tell us that he was one of the greatest footballers that has ever graced that stage. And uh, not it's a bit of a spoiler alert maybe, but he was certainly one of my footballers of that tournament. So, yeah, you, you know they didn't care. They didn't care that they won it the way they won it either, but they at least they kept going. They had the discipline to keep going, not to lose their heads. You know what, even how fitting it was maybe that it was a penalty that, that uh, decided this World Cup. It was a Penalties seem to decide so many of the games, but it was still a brilliant moment. Uh, the penalty, given the context of about eighty-third minute, seven minutes from the end of a World Cup final, um, and it was a brilliant penalty. Um, so, yeah, West Germany, I'd say, just did not care. I think we we often go on about the kind of cultural significance of Italia 94. Well, we've done nothing but do that in this World Cup, <laughs> in this podcast, but. You got to think about what was to have been like to be German at the time. Your country's just been reunified after almost forty year, forty plus years. Um, you've got the best football team in the world. Like it must have felt like the summer of love if you were German. Yeah, and and and, and to be, it, it's it's worth keeping in mind as well. Just before. If be, before we head down that kind of socio-political uh, wormhole, um, that like you obviously I, knew I, where I, I was I going, and, and I don't mean and, and where actually, we sorry, reside I, in most podcasts. 
Uh, yeah, and I, tell, I don't mean that to sound uh, glib either because it's very important. It's a very important point. But the one thing, that, and it's kind of something that we didn't really mention at all, is the fact that this was like, this was Germany's third final in a row and they'd lost the previous two. So you had, who was there? Like Lipbarski was there from 82. Obviously, Beckenbauer had been there in 86 and plenty of guys had been there in 86. You had the whole sideshow about Matthias in the 86 final being asked to mark Maradona. And obviously in this one, he was given a freer role and rightly so and, and Buchwald was attached to Maradona. But like that pressure was on them as well. So, I mean, whatever the hell was going on with Argentina and whatever was going on with the tournament as a whole, I'm sure that their focus was just laser. I mean, we've seen it in, in Gaelic games in this country in particular. Teams gone in having lost a couple of All-Irelands and the sort of I'm thinking of Kilkenny in particular and, and the focus that they would have on the opposition could be pretty, pretty severe. So I'm sure the Germans were the same. But um, but yeah, going back to the summer of love kind of uh, vibe. Yeah, I'd say it was it was just it was it was fantastic for them. Like this is this is the last time we see West Germany on the world stage. They do play one more game after this. They play a friendly in Lisbon in August. And then it's a reunified Germany. And there are so many kind of odd little sidetracks off that story. East Germany could quite easily have qualified for the World Cup. It could have been a real party in Germany. They actually went into the final qualifier against Austria, needing only a point. And one of the things that upset the, their rhythm, and I've, re- I've only read this in the last couple of days, we've, we've heard about agents and foreign clubs tapping up Romanians during the World Cup. One actually got onto the East German bench in Vienna the night they lost that final World Cup, <laughs> dressed as a photographer trying to sign players. Uh, and then subsequently, the two Germanys were drawn together in the qualifiers of the Euros. So they were due to play each other in October. And I think through a series of discussions, it eventuated that East Germany were out of the group. One Germany took part, but there was still, they had to play one qualifier match against Belgium. And at that stage, East Germany were just about able to get a team out because so many players had just scarpered off to West Germany to play in the Bundesliga. They had they had an awful they had an awful job getting a team together. I mean, Matthias Sammer, who was in his early twenties at that stage, East German international, turned up for that Belgian game reluctantly. I think he had signed for Stuttgart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was he was in the camp, and when he got there and, we, and saw the story, he was he, he immediately tried to get a fight out of there again. And then sort of uh, after a day or so kind of decided he'd stay and um, more guys kind of turned up. I think they, they, they did patch it together, I think, all right. But and funny enough, I think Beckenbauer made a similar comment around the time of the World Cup qualifiers because German German qualification was a little bit on a knife edge as well. They did a, a clutch game against Wales in their last qualifier. And it was the same crack again. The wall had come down like literally, what, what did we say, six days before these matches? And Beckenbauer was saying exactly the same as the East Germans. Well, not exactly the same. I mean, he didn't have an agent dressed as a photographer on his bench beside him. But he was kind of saying, we really need to focus here. We're, you know, we, we're all in, we're all kind of um, really, really, you know, exultant about this about this, this this change in the situation but we have to focus in here and they just about I think they just about squeezed it over the line against Wales that time but but the East German thing is fascinating Kieran it really is isn't it like the the players who were there the players who came out what happened to the clubs just the entire the entire deconstruction of football in the eastern part of the country yeah and it's taken them until now to get back to any level like we see uh, Leipzig are now a force in the Bundesliga. But 
And and you can see that the Berlin clubs are coming strong, but it's taken 30 years because all the wealth was in the West and that's what the players followed. So you had all these German talent left straight away. So, some of them did go on to play for the unified Germany, but not so many. But but I suppose the, 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 the Leip, Leipzig and Hertha Berlin now, it's all down to outside money coming in. It's, I suppose it's, yeah. it's not yeah. something that has been... <sighs> Uh, I suppose developed by any football federation, it's it's purely just driven by the commercial interests of, of those clubs. It's it's like a break with the tradition of how Bundesliga clubs operate. Yeah, I think it's an, I think in in, Ber- in Berlin recently, and I know Klinsmann was a manager for a short period of time there up until a couple of months ago. I think it's a it's a Ger- a London based uh, German that's funding the money there, and then we know where the Red Bull money is coming from. I'm wondering, Billy Joe, in what you saw of that team in that final and what we've seen of this team in the tournament are there the roots of everything that's good about German football here they have a phenomenal record they've played more games and World Cups uh, I think as many as Brazil to joint with them in terms of history they just have an incredible record through tournaments All right, they've lost a few finals over the years but where does this fit in the history of German football for you in terms of your mindset? I think that with some of the things the lads were talking about there in terms of the political situation in Germany, I think this is probably you know a start of the process of where, as I think I maybe said in one of the earlier podcasts, where maybe on the on the world scale we we can start to appreciate and admire and and maybe like the German national team more so than in the past. And there's a whole load of you know, reasons why Germans themselves probably didn't feel comfortable with uh, the, the the national flag and, and nationalism as such. But I think then. I think just from the purely the footballing point of view, you see that when German football takes a real dip in terms of quality in the years following 1990, and they're very poor in a couple of euros, and it, is, it takes Klinsmann to come back and kind of start the ball rolling again in terms of the national team and, and some joy in, the, in it with Podolski and Klose and players like that were probably the, some of the driving forces, uh, uh, Schweinsteiger. But you can see why they go back to the athleticism and the pressing and the dy- and dynamic football. Because when this German team during the 1990 World Cup were at their best, it was when they were pressing the Dutch back in that game, when they were pressing the Yugoslavs back in that game, playing the game in the opposition's half, moving the ball quickly, playing the full width of the field and getting people in the box and scoring goals. And, and when you see the German team now playing well, when you see them in the World Cup in Brazil, that's what they did well when they blitzed Brazil in that semi-final where they played the whole game practically in front of the, the Brazilian penalty box that's when Brazil, you know German teams are at their best and I think you saw snippets of it in, in this World Cup that they could always go back and reference to when they're trying to rebuild their their football culture Colin there was a moment in the lead up to the red card uh, Klinsmann does just an incredible turn and it's just it's just kind of underlying what a great tournament he had but also some of the best football in this World Cup came out of the Germans. It wasn't just grinding their way towards the final in those last couple of games. They really, really found the moments when they needed them. They did. And again, for such a game that had so much negativity in it, the best moments, uh, like Klinsmann had a couple of great moments, as you said. Um, and the moment you, you speak of was was a bit of magic from him. And throughout the World Cup, he had produced those. And it was a great reminder for me to kind of, again, go back and look at that. Pip Barsky, uh, like he could have scored one of the goals of the tournament uh, in this final he uh, just pushed his uh, shot from outside of the box after a great run, a great dribble, uh, just past the post. Um, Father had a couple of great chances that were well created and came from good things. So, yeah, they really, really did. And it's I, it speaks to a, a broader point that we have spoken about. And I don't think we've 
uh, figured out the riddle. Uh, it's, it's possibly, it's, I guess, uh, historical in the context of uh, World War II, honestly, and uh, everything that followed from there. But it's, it's amazing how, looking back at this, how good they were, um, how accomplished they were, uh, how they just uh, kept their heads so, so well. And you just somehow still feel that didn't get the credit that they deserve for both the football they played. And it has probably taken that extra 15, 20 years afterwards, the teams that Billy spoke out there, go and do what they did in Brazil, uh, to kind of get the credit that they do deserve as a footballing nation and, and a very positive footballing nation in, in, in the style of football they play, their culture of football, and even... As the guys spoke to there, the structure of their clubs and their leagues and their, you know, even the way they've integrated the migrant community into their football there and, and into their national team. So in a very roundabout way, it's it's only maybe now that we're appreciating Germany for the footballing nation that they are. Um, and to think that that's 30 years ago, like they were sensational that night and great throughout that whole tournament. But somehow they don't seem to have ever been the story. I don't, I don't think there's been as good a German team as that since. And I think they've been tired with the legacy of this tournament as a whole. Absolutely. 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 Like the, the, this entire, the winners and this entire tournament is completely overshadowed by the, the back pass rule, the problems with the offside rule. Three points uh, for a win. Yeah. Yeah. All the stuff that held th- th- that competition back. And also like, the German, that German team, and you know, we've even—I mean, even in, in being complimentary to them there, and 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 describing their strengths, you know, their order, their patience, their their structures are good, etc., etc. It's great flair in that team. I mean, Matthias was a—I mean, he was he was a strong player, a strong-willed player, but he had lots of flair as well. I mean, that team that started the World Cup final, Litbarski wasn't even in the squad. I'm not sure was he fit enough for the England game. I'm not 100 percent sure what was happening there, but. I mean, he wasn't in the he wasn't in, on the substitutes bench for the England. He game. famously had a very frosty relationship with Dirk Kaiser as well. I think at times. Well, so. well Dirk Kaiser made a good call putting him in there and also putting Thomas Hester in into the same team because they brought that Great. kind of little something different to it. And I mean, if you look at that that starting eleven for 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 the German team that night, like each and every single one of them encompasses everything you would want in a player in that specific position. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like from right back, from goalkeeper, right back, all the way through to your two front guys, they are exactly what you want. Plus, with a little bit of with a little bit of magic thrown in there as well when it needs to be, and and the mental strength to do the right thing at the right time all the way through. And maybe that's I I, I asked the question at some stage down down the track. If Argentina were so bad, how come no one can beat them? Well, maybe the thing that was missing was the absence of a Mateus, a great a, a great player. Even though Eamon Dunphy, John Giles spoke a lot during this tournament about the absence of great players at the World Cup. Well, maybe Mateus was the one great player, and also that that inherent self-belief and quality just to stick stick to it, just stay doing it, stay doing it, and back yourself no matter where this goes. They found a way. Yeah. And, and a lot of it is, you're, you're dead right, like the quality of the players, like Buchwald had an unreal game. <laughs> what a man-marking Brilliant. job. Brilliant. Billy Joe, what made him so good at that job? Or how did, what made him, you know, how did it work out so well for him? 
Well, I think I think it pro- a lot of it probably had come down to the, the fact that they'd had a go at it four years earlier and put Mateus on it. So I'm sure Beckenbauer had dissected that and and looked at it and and while in the '86 final it worked, you know, well for most of that game, you know. But Maradona do, does play the key pass, I think, to Burrachaga to get the win and goal. Uh, a beautiful piece of skill in the middle of the field, but. So I think Beckenbauer has an idea about... I think Beckenbauer for four years is planning. What, what am I going to do if I play against Maradona again? So he's had time to think, who's the right man for the job? And I think the, the thing that I like about Buchwald, and he does the job brilliantly, he's always there. There's actually, a clip, there's actually a video on YouTube where you can watch all Maradona's touches in the games. And I watched it there this afternoon. <laughs> and you see more of Buchwald than you do of Maradona. But... Um, <laughs> I think that when you look at the team sheet and you just look at the team, playing him on Maradona there gave the Germans that flexibility that they had the two centre halves behind it and they played with a sweeper throughout the whole game and it was usually Agenthaler. But like, Buchwald then kind of had a free role. He didn't have to worry about any other sort of tactical responsibility. His only job, his only consideration was staying close to Maradona and that, uh, it was, you know, and their tactical system allowed that and it gave them the flexibility to do that. And it didn't really disrupt the way they played, even though for most of the tournament they they played with, you know, Buchwald deeper or an Agenthaler as a sweeper and, and the two wingbacks. And I think that's a credit to how um, sophisticated they were as a team tactically compared to maybe some of the other teams that played in the World Cup. And again, I think that's because Beckabar had been building for this for the last the two previous tournaments. So he had an absolutely crystal clear idea about wh- how he wanted to play and how he needed to play against certain opponents. You've also got to credit their discipline over seven games. And I mean, th- there's a very good contrast between the two sides in that regard. Over seven games, Germany's discipline has been really, really good. They've only had the one suspension, Rudy Voller, for the red card against the Netherlands. Harsh. And then, yeah. you, and then, you, look harsh. At, and then you look on the flip side... And, and just the bookings in this game with two red cards and, and other two yellows you know what I mean and they're already they've got four players suspended for the final it, it really at a time when football let's be honest we've talked about its relevance to GBH at times West Germany's discipline was fantastic across all seven games Fantastic. And like one other thing, just to, just to rewind slightly something Billy Joe mentioned about Beckenbauer, has to be huge credit to Beckenbauer as well. Like here was a guy who who evolved himself and his, his kind of thought process on the game as well. I mean, apparently according to the players who played in both tournaments, he was a very different person in 1990 than he was in 86. Like he was a bit more cranky and a bit kind of, a bit more sort of uh, cantankerous in the dressing room with them in 86 than he was in 90. Now, that may have been down to the fact that he didn't really believe that the team in 86 was that good. Maybe he saw more in the 1990 team, but like he certainly, he obviously evolved. He's thinking around Mateus. He, he, whatever issues he had with Lebarski, he, he, he parked him for the betterment of the team. And as, as we've discussed before, I mean, the depth to his coaching staff, would suggest that even though he was always the boss, he was happy enough to have some very strong personalities around him, and uh, it all came together. And like he was, he was in a similar enough sort of well, similar enough situation to Bobby Robson in the sense that he was leaving after this tournament as well. So, I mean, this is his last shot. So again, bit of pressure there for him, but I mean, he 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 brought it all together just tremendously well. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the Czechoslovakia game, we didn't actually get to talk about this at the time, but at the end of the Czechoslovakia game, he was furious with how they'd performed. Well, he goes nuts. He, he goes nuts in the dressing room, apparently. And that's apparently across the whole tournament in Italy. It's the only time the players see him lose the plot in a way that they may have been more accustomed to in the mid-80s. He absolutely strips the walls after, after, the, after the Czechoslovakia game. He is not a happy man. But that's the only time. Yeah, I love his, uh, Colin, I love his reaction to the goal. Like, while all hell breaks loose around him, he's like pointing to the halfway line saying, calm down, lads. And he, he's kind of telling a few of the players around the halfway to calm down. Then he looks down to the, the big pile up that's going on around uh, Bremer. And you could just see him kind of his shoulders go, ah, it's like, it's not what I'm looking yeah. for here. This is a dangerous lead, lad. yeah. lead lads. Get back on with it. You know? <laughs> I don't know if you're the same uh, Yeah, I don't, I don't want to dis- dismantle, um, Dismantle everything Mick has said there, or even the legacy of uh, of Beckenbauer with uh, just one quick standing. Just, just leave a small bit standing. <laughs> well, the the, uh, the 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 only thing, and I know when he hears this, he'll he'll go nuts and he's going to come at me. But in in that game, uh, I know this is a drastic oversimplification. But once he got the matchup with uh, Buckfall and Maradona, right? Certainly from the point of view of like offensively, where uh, Argentina, when you look at their uh, eleven. We're going to get something, um, you know, that was that would trouble Germany, uh, especially if Germany scored. You, you just you just can't see it. I mean, you know, where's the chap gone from the uh, the Cameroon game who couldn't get taken off? Abel Balbo. Uh, he hasn't Balbo. played in a single and, game know, since. <laughs> um, and like Desati's only contribution, obviously, was the was the high tackle uh, right at the end. And listen, I know I'm being glib and, and, and I am being uh, facetious, but, you know, once Maradona uh, and that spark w- was out, as long as Germany could hold their heads and it didn't go to the inevitable penalties that Argentina w- wanted. But as a whole, Beckenbauer's uh, management of that German team throughout that tournament was uh, was phenomenal. And uh, taken into the context again that they'd lost the two previous finals, a phenomenal run to, to, to go through those championships the way they did. And they were worthy winners. Right. Time for the gong show. Right, we promised you we would finish with a flurry of uh, debate. Lads, well, you've all sent me your team at the tournament. Well, I'll give you what the accumulated team was. Is everyone okay with that? And we'll decide on some of the choices. I'm, I'm, the, I'm just the uh, moderator here, so I didn't have a, a clear vote in this. But uh, the guys that are definitely in, Kohler is in there. Bremer is in there as well. Stoikovic, Gascoigne and Mateus all in there. Scalacci and Roger Mila also make it. Right. I don't know if we have anyone to jump, if there's anything you want to argue. I, I'm, I'm going to argue a couple of those. Right. <laughs> really, well, um, that's, that's controversial already. But these are, the, these are the decision areas we need to get into. Goykache or Zenga? That was a tie. Uh, I get, get out. Who, who, who voted went, for Goykache? What about Conejo? Oh, I did. Absolutely. I did too. I oh, did too. Get what? I'm going to tell you what I'm going to say. I'm not even going to defend it. You need to, you need to come at me on this one. Now. Walter Zenga kept five clean sheets and didn't concede a goal for 517 minutes. Case closed. <laughs> look look at the quality of the opposition. Look at the quality of the opposition. Look at what Guy Kachea was dealing with. Also, Czechoslovakia had two good goals against him ruled out, but let's leave that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Guy Kachea had a great name. <laughs> so did Zenga. <laughs> I, I pick Zenga based upon. Uh, I, I pick Zenga based on the hair. His, uh, 
the, the, no, his, your description of how he used to actually uh, save. And I went back and I looked at a heap of, of footage at him. I'm a Zenga man. All right, I got to call this. Goy, Goy Kachaya, also, if I, can, if I can swing it with this one, he looks a little bit like Sylvester Stallone in Escape to Victory, and I know you guys like that movie. Sold Goy Kachaya as inner team of the tournament. Oh, God. I mean, this is a very bad start. <laughs> <laughs> you can, you're always going to win with that argument. Good work there, Mick. Uh, right, this is a tricky one because they both deserve to be in the team. That's probably the same for a lot of cases. Maldini or Baresi? So we split there. Which one was better? Uh, that For me, it's Baresi. Well, you know, here, to, for me, on this, though, you have to tell me what formation we're playing. Oh, we're playing 3 5 2 because that was the uh, collective agreement. So uh, I've kind of put. So we've all, we've all gone for 3 5 2 because we wanted to fill no. the midfield with playmakers. Is that it? No, uh, yeah. well, no. It's I, not I, a very balanced I, team, Billy Joe. You're going to get your head wrecked with that. <laughs> but yes, uh, we need three centre backs here. Well, I, I, I agree with Kieran. Uh, Brazy, you know, he's the leader, the leader of that team. You know, I know he's not the captain, Bergami is, but like he's just, he's. He's the best centre-back in the world at that time and he, he plays really well in that tournament so he, he has to be there. Fair enough. Well, I just want to... Hold on, Mick Foley's coming in. I'm just going to say one, one thing, just just a little word, just a little word for Des Walker. That's all. All right, Des. Oh, no, hang on. We're getting to that, Mick. We're getting to that because I've kind of split, I've split it here with, uh, it was Maldini or Baresi and it's Walker or Wright. You have to pick one or the other. We're going to let one of them in. Oh, okay. Oh, well, Des for me anyway. I'm a Liverpool fan but I still think Des Walker was the better player and he played better in that tournament so I'm, I'm there with Des Walker I was a right man in this instance um, I, I wouldn't argue Des Walker at all I thought he had a really solid World Cup that's sold and the last decision that needs to be made in terms of ties is uh, Enzo Schifo or Giannini the Prince oh no no you can't it's actually make that a choice that's wrong yeah, well, it, I mean, the others have more votes. Bremer is in there, I, I guess, in the three-five-two formation. He's in the right-back position. We have no uh, left-back then after that. So we have Stoikovic, Gascoigne, Maldini. and Mateus. Maldini, you want Maldini in there, do you? you well, no, like, if it's a three-five-two, He didn't have enough votes. He didn't have enough votes. Just sorry. didn't get there. Okay. So we have to pick between Vincenzo, Vincenzo Schifo and Giuseppe Giannini. Yeah. Yes, that's oh, just Colin. this is the stuff of fantasy football teams. Oh. No, I thought I thought about this, Rob. I thought about it and yes. I know I'm gonna go with my old Bel Belmola buddy and go with Chifo. I know I'm gonna yeah, get shoulder down here. I'm gonna get I'm gonna go down. with Giannini on the basis that Italy did not lose a game in the entire World Cup. I'm I'm gonna go with Giannini on the basis that his nickname is the Prince and also the fact that he was just fantastic. Billy Joe, uh, you got to come in and defend Shifo here. Well, they used to call Alberto Aquilani the little prince as well, so that doesn't do anything. <laughs> like there, uh, so, you know. And Ruben Sosa. Nicknames, you know, they don't always translate to greatness. So, right, yeah, just give you a good link, good link name. Shifo was the most, I think this is, as, as what was important to me throughout this whole press, uh, whole thing was, how, what did I enjoy most? And I have no doubt of all the players, and there were better players in the tournament than him, Mateus was great, but I enjoyed watching Enzo Schifo more than any other player in the tournament. So that's, that's where I leave it. I'm putting them in. I'm sold. I can't, we, we can't go against that sort of heartfelt. heartfelt. <laughs> it was a, re a cry, a cry for oh, help. Yeah, but, all right. We're going to give you all just, uh, even though you sent it on to me, I'm just going to ask you to name your player to tournament. But just a reminder, that's Guy Kachea, that's uh, Beresi, Kohler, um, Walker, Brema, Stojkovic, Shifu, Gascoigne and Mateus, 
Uh, Scalacci and Roger Mila. No place for Clinton no, in that team. Uh, I'm sorry, Roger Mila was a great fairy tale story, but he was not in the two best strikers in the tournament. I, do you know what? Do you know what? I picked them, and it was him. I was him and Hohn and back and over it, and I kind of agree with you. Klinsman yeah. was far better than Roger Miller in this World Cup. Oh, I so, like I had Miller as well on the basis that when you're looking for impact, and of course Klinsman had a huge impact on the tournament. But I mean, did two other strikers have a bigger impact than Scalacci and Miller, either in terms of scoring or just in terms of their impact on their team? Well, in the Scalacci thing, I don't think it can be argued because he was just the sharpest forward in the whole yeah. tournament. In everything he did, he was just so sharp. Whereas, look, Miller was brilliant, but he didn't start a game, you know? Yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, and it's always that bit harder to start a game and set the tone. And when I, every time I watch Klinsman now that I think about it, and I'm... Like, think of the game where, where Voller is suspended and what he does in that game, or or even the remainder of the game when Voller's been sent off. For me, he's... This is a disgrace. He, he's, oh, one of the, <laughs> he's one of the best forwards in the tournament. <laughs> this whole courtroom's out of order. Like, honestly, this, yeah, this is erroneous. <laughs> erroneous. I have never, like, Roger Miller was 38 and was playing for Cameroon. He was playing for a club in Reunion Island. He came to the World Cup. We've spoken about him for a collective 16 hours and 42 minutes. <laughs> this this anti-Cameroonian bias has just reached its zenith right now. It's incredible. I can't believe that the story of the World Cup can't make it. can't even make the team. I mean, whatever. <laughs> you might as well put well, Steve Bull. I'm going to go. So <laughs> Frank Stapleton. No, he didn't play. So that's too much. <laughs> it's too much. Um, ooh, ooh, geez. It's, it, well, look. I mean, a bit of a bit of aggro wouldn't go astray. But I'm like Billy Joe's changed his vote, Colin. There's nothing I can do. The votes are in. Klinsman is in. Yes, right, right decision. <laughs> Now can we go back to the goalkeeper again? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I want to pick out some uh, random names that popped up just with one vote. Uh, Makanaki made Collins team. He did. I mean, Makinaki, is it any wonder I'm the only guy who picked him? <laughs> and yeah, you are. And, and this is the man who just swayed the Clinton argument, the man who picked Makanaki. <laughs> hey lads, he had some good games. I'm kind of, I'm kind of with Colin on that one to some degree. Diego Maradona made Billy Joe Patton's team. Billy I'm Joe so Patton. not surprised at that. <laughs> Explain yourself. For I, I was, after watching the clip of the treatment he got throughout the World Cup, and then I just remembered the, the assist against the old enemy Brazil, and I just thought that's good enough for me. Enough. I like it. I, okay. I like. It. He also made the official team in the tournament, it has to be said. So, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> that had to happen. I guess they felt so guilty about the uh, the the, uh, the way it all ended. Let's put it this way. Conejo was kind of... was. Did he make the official uh, team? He would have been on my shortlist for the goalkeepers, I have to say. Yeah, he was. My, he would have been my pick, basically, I have to say. I, Bodo Il- Ilgna didn't get on anyone's team. Why is that? He had a brilliant defence in front of him. He had nothing to do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is kind of funny. It just occurred to me. He, he was a good goalkeeper. He was German. He was German. He's a, Not he, he gets to walk off with being the first goalkeeper in World Cup history to keep a clean sheet. He's done okay. Lads, can I throw? A, I've picked two other teams, right? I just, I just feel they they needed to be. Uh, they just like I went through a list of names here, and I said to myself, you know what? There needs to be another team. So I'm just going to name one of those teams. Let me just see it here. There it is. Okay, so this is my this is my alternative team, right? Rene Higuita and goal. No goalkeeper brought me more joy in that World Cup than Rene Higuita. Um, 
And I was kind of thinking to myself here, what am I looking for in defence? I put in, I'm not, I mightn't be pronouncing this right so you can laugh at me, but Garretts, is it the Belgium? Eric Garretts. Garretts, yeah. He yeah. just impressed me. Really liked him. Stuart Pierce. I think he was brilliant in this World Cup. Popescu, one of the best defenders I saw in this World Cup. And I'm putting him in here, and this is going to cause a breakdown of communication here. Mick McCarty. Oh, I'm please, sorry. You, I'm sorry, lads. For all the abuse he got and everyone telling us he shouldn't be in the team, did he put a foot wrong for us? I don't think so. Well, he put his foot in a lot of places. Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, his, it's greatest contribution. No, no, quickly though, and I meant to say this when I was doing the Romania game, uh, watching that game back was whenever he'd kick uh, the bejesus out of someone and he'd get pulled for free, he had this ability to like go and shake the guy's hands straight away as if he was just like really <laughs> sound and awkward. And that saved him from getting a red card. For that alone, I, he deserves with a really well. With a really short offer of a handshake. You know the ones that are kind of, <laughs> yeah, your elbow is back yeah. behind your torso and it's like, yeah, there it is. Yeah. Three, three brilliant tackles come to mind against England, Romania, Italy. I'm sticking with this. All right, the midfield, Valdo from Brazil. Uh, he was really yeah. good. Yeah, he was all right. Great player. Just, just guys, we forget. David Platt, three goals in the World Cup. I mean, how many minutes did he play to get those three goals? Impressive. Not as many as he should. I actually think they... They would have done a lot better had he been in the side more consistently. Oman Biak was probably our, probably Cameroon's best player consistently out of all of them. Great uh, in the opening game for sure, yeah. Uh, and oh, Marius Lakatus, my my favourite player in terms of the guys I discovered. And I put in the other two, uh, Lubis Kubik, because I think every game he played, he was really effective for for his team uh, for Czechoslovakia. And Gary Lineker. Didn't get enough love in that World Cup. I think he finished with four goals. I, I'll be honest, I'd have had Lineker ahead of Roger Miller as well in the strikers. Before, oh, but oh, don't set Colin off Jesus. again. <laughs> <laughs> he did very well. What did he finish with? Did he finish with four goals? How many he's goals? the first player in, in, or he's a, like he got 10 in two World Cups. Like that's, that's a phenomenal scoring record. You're all just hoping for an RT on Twitter of Lineker now. That's all you're that's hoping That's it. <laughs> Retweet. <laughs> All right, round the table, starting with the grumpy man after the decision uh, that has just gone out in our team of the tournament. Colin, your player of the tournament. Uh, Matthias. Any confliction as, yeah. as you went into that decision now? Happy enough? Yes. Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't think starting out that he would have been it because I remembered it differently. But uh, yeah, just completely won over. He was, he, was, he was a class apart and I guess he drove them to win it. So, Mick, any deviation on that? Yeah, is that? Ooh. <laughs> what yeah, on earth <laughs> oh, 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 oh he went there I did I went there I went there I just thought you know again I was kind of thinking well what player and Mateus is a very you know who's going to argue with Mateus you know I mean it's fantastic he, he, he probably was uh, he's know. changed his vote Rob let's move on one of, one of the players <laughs> of the tour he was <laughs> um, he had a very good tour he had a great tournament but I would I would I don't know. I just thought Gascoigne, for an England team coming in in the state they were, and people were unsure of how Gaza was going to be. How, how, what way was he going to play? And I mean, for me anyway, certainly in every game I watched England playing, he was brilliant. He was just brilliant. And I mean, even when, when the tears came and the yellow card that would have put him out of the final and put him out of the third place playoff, I say he was gutted. He still, he still stuck at it. And uh, yeah, he was my man anyway. Billy Joe. That's absolutely crazy. Oh, <laughs> Gazza was Gazza was very very good, but like there can only be one man, and it's Matthias driving force from start to finish. The only thing I will say is that, and the only knock against Matthias in the whole tournament was, is that he was down to take the penalty in the final and wouldn't take it. 
Really? I do. And one other knock. And one other knock against him. He got completely <laughs> outplayed by Carlos Valderrama in a group game. Who is in my right. other alternative alternative team. Uh, Rob's gone full Nick Hornby by the sounds of oh, things. I, I, I should see this other team I've got. I've got Hearn and Medford up front. But we oh, please, can on. we get back to <laughs> <laughs> Craig Levine, too. I mean, for one game, what about carry on? Back, back to you, Kira. <laughs> We quit the podcast. What's going on? What, 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 what are you asking? Oh yeah, you're a player of the tournament. I've got a whole lot of love. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a bit that's a bit cheesy. So you have to come back in here now. Are you young player of the tournament? I actually went for Paul Gascoigne as my young player of the tournament. Uh, there you go. You see now. Mm, there you go. And there you work here on giving out about him at the in the first half of the the podcast, the the, the World Cup semi final. Look at you now. Yeah, Dad, you know, I, I am a fair, fair, fair man at the end of it all. <laughs> no comments beyond that. Billy Joe, you're a young player at the tournament. I went for Paul Gascoigne as well. And it was a really, it was, I spent more time looking up which good players in the World Cup were actually under 23, 23 or He only under, just qualified. Yeah, and there weren't not that many of young players. And I think, uh, I, I don't know what that says about modern football, maybe, you know, Kylian Mbappe being the best player in the last World Cup at whatever age he was, I suppose things are, are maybe they're trusting young players more now. But he was fantastic throughout that whole tournament. But I suppose the one thing, not one knock on I have on Gaza is that he was creative and his passing was brilliant. But he just didn't add goals, really. And in a lot of those games that England played, particularly against Belgium and against Cameroon, Gaza was good, but they just weren't able to create enough or they didn't commit enough to attack in football. And maybe that wasn't his fault, but um, that, that I'm knocking him for it anyway. Colin, you've picked uh, Steve Staunton, right? Uh, <laughs> kind of feel you believe me if I did. I went for Baggio um, because, yeah, I just felt... Um, yeah, I just felt there was a few moments. I suppose it goes to just what Billy had said, where sometimes you, from those creative players, you need goals. And more than once in that tournament, he stood up, he scored possibly the goal of the tournament and uh, gave a few brilliant moments. And I felt that if he was on the pitch uh, earlier in the semi final or on the pitch more throughout the tournament, then he would have given Italy an awful lot more. Uh, he was magic for me looking back at him. And as much as the moment against Ireland, the goal against Ireland was something that we should, you know, be heartbroken about. Just that, that the way he took the ball and, and rode the challenge uh, in the build-up to that goal was just pure poetry. I thought it was phenomenal. I wish he was on the pitch more. I loved his goal. I loved his goal in the third place playoff as well. I know I've never ever watched a third place playoff game in a World Cup, but I remember just looking back at the goals. And it, the way they just pick Shilton's pocket, Scalacci does, quick one-two, and then Baggio's finished because he knows his guy's on the line. He actually lifts it into the roof of the net with his left boot. Great goal. Mick, young player of the tournament. Young player of the tournament, Paolo Maldini for me. Um, mm. It was the first time we had seen Maldini in a kind of major tournament with Italy, and particularly in, in the group games I saw. Him. So these are his first games in the World Cup. I thought he was excellent, really, really excellent. And, you know, he didn't really, as far as I could see it anyway, certainly he didn't put a whole pile of feet wrong and the whole thing. So he was my man. Brilliant. Lads, I wanted to just, we, we had a few other questions that we can throw up online again, but just in general, just some absolute highlights going around the table. I, I mean, I, I've kind of said a few things already, like Egypt story kind of really 
struck with me. I think the story and the image I'll have, I'll start with you, Colin, I'll have from this tournament is having Lubo Muravchik on to talk to and, and him telling us that this very week as we record this, he's off to Prague to play golf with, with uh, Lubas Kubik. And just for me, that was the end of Shawshank Redemption in football terms right there. <laughs> Two boys hanging out on a golf course. Say what an ale, say what an ale. Say yeah. what an ale, yeah. That's it. It's such a such a class finish to such a class story. I love the Czechoslovakia story. Some of the highlights for you. What, what was yeah. the story that stuck out? I didn't say I didn't say it when I when I mailed you back, but I think um, having listened to so many of the uh, contributors speak on this podcast over the last few weeks, uh, the thing that probably stands out most is that this was the last footballing World Cup, or sorry, the, sorry, the last non-corporate World Cup. Um, in that, uh, those stories about like guys traveling to get to the World Cup and rented cars. Um, it was like the, it was probably the the first combine, if you like, World Cup where there were so many of these players coming from Eastern Europe on show. They're probably the stories that kind of stand out for me is that the the, the changing world around this World Cup and it was all happening just then. And that in a way, although the football left a lot to be desired, it, it, there was a community spirit about it. Listening to Amy Lawrence talk about going to it, uh, Kevin Corcoran talking about being there, um, it, it felt like it was a real proper. Uh, footballing experience for so many people and that maybe football sold it sold a little bit after that or it was always going to go that way and so really yeah it was that sense of how we thought it was as kids is actually what it was like for even the grown-ups at the time who were there yeah i think by by the time um by the time I'd gotten down to this list of questions that, that Rob had sent us, I'd basically gone rogue, really, at this point. Uh, my most my, my, my most kind of unusual, strange moment or the story that struck with me was Terry Butcher's back heel against West Germany. Uh, I just thought it was, it was just an unlikely thing to happen that it kind of uh, just captured an awful lot of things around England. But just kind of one thing that uh, I tell you, that I tell you, you know, and you know, it's, maybe it's easy uh, from an Irish perspective to kind of obsess on this, but I think we've successfully avoided that actually in this whole podcast. Um, but I think the, I think the Irish experience, like the, the, the supporters going across, um, the moment it was for the country, um, the reaction it got at home in terms of the football reaction and in terms of the public reaction to the success of the team. It's just amazing. Like I came across a story in Paul Rowan's, um, book the team that Jack built. It came out in the mid nineties, but uh it had it had a good it had a good chunk about the uh, the World Cup of nineteen ninety, but he had this he had this mad story. Neil McCafferty was over there working uh as a journalist, I think it was for the Tribune, and uh but she effectively became a kind of a kind of an agony aunt for the thousands of Irishmen who were basically on a trip for the first time. A lot of them had never even left Ireland before, but she was she was counselling this fella who had ended up um, sleeping in the catacombs in, outside of Rome, uh, married a married man who had a little dalliance with a Swedish lady. And he was absolutely <laughs> devastated. He didn't know what to do. with it. He was devastated that it had happened. He, he just didn't know where to do, what to do with himself. And Nell kind of talked him down and kind of said, look at, Look, you had a nice time. She's a nice time. That's how I got on with our lives, you know. Uh, and you can deal with when you go home. But her point was the point was that you had all of these people going out and and kind of going to Italy and having these experiences and watching these games and and meeting these people and just having this 
sort of a life that they possibly missed out on at one stage in their younger lives and, and possibly missed out on in their lives as a whole. And that Italian 90 did that for an awful lot of people in Ireland anyway, certainly. It gave them the opportunity to kind of uh, even look at football, even if it's something as simple as we've talked about football as being the other in Ireland sometimes uh, before Italian 90, to look at soccer and look at look at the game and look at the people who play it in a very different way, look at the diaspora in a different way. I mean, it just opens up such a whole world of different ways um, to look at sport and how we engage with the sport of soccer in this country, what it means to us. So that's probably that overall story. That the Irish story is the one that the one that's really still strikes me now after after looking at everything over the last last few weeks. Uh, Rob, one of the questions you asked us was what you would like to see from the time return to football. Mm. The back, the back pass to the keeper. I'd speed up the game, bit. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Bring it back, I say. <laughs> I, I've gone for something slightly bigger, and it's not because I object to globalization in any way or to integration anyway. But I feel one of the things that that's very obvious is in the thirty years since, a lot of the great domestic leagues have suffered at the expense of a few that have prospered, and I would love to see player movement restrictions back in the game because I think we've lost the great Ajax team or the great Celtic team or the great Stoya Bucharest team because all the talent gets sucked towards the shiny bright thing and I think we'd have a lot more mystery around the World Cup if we went into a tournament not knowing every player that played in the Champions League I'd love to have that sense of mystery again going oh I really need to see him because I haven't seen a lot of him in the Premier League. Uh, and I think we'd have a broader share of revenue across the sport. Like, we're seeing some very sad things in football in recent years. You've seen clubs that were founders of the sport in their various countries going out of business. And it's that's just the nature of what happens when all the money goes to the top tier. I think there would have been a fairer way of doing things. And one of the things that might have helped that survive is if the talent was distributed more fairly as well. Billy Joe Baden, give me a takeaway from this tournament. For me, it's the thing I remember most vividly as a as a ch- as a kid watching it, and it's the thing that I think I'll even after this whole process and in thirty years' time, hopefully, it'll be the thing that I remember first. It's, it's your Panini sticker album, is. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is. And my mother is hard at work trying to find it down in Balmullet at the minute because I think she moved house and might have misplaced it so we might never speak again. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, what is it, Billy? <laughs> you know, um, it's the, it's Billy shootout against Romania because it's something I'd be able to slag my brother David about for the rest of his life that he wasn't able to stay in the room and, and ha- handle the tension there. So it's it's the thing that I keep coming back to over and over again. That's it, lads. We're almost there. I just have one more question, actually. Okay. Does anybody know, does anybody know, did Ludic McClosco get the higher car back okay? Rob, you had wings number. Did you ring them? Do you know what, Mick? I did just, while we were talking there, look up the date of his last game and was trying to work out. He finished on July 1st. He probably left the 2nd. I'd say as of uh, people listening to this, the July 8th, surely he was back in London. We do need to make a phone call. Well, he needed to be back on the 8th for the work permit. Oh, really? Yeah. But I'm assuming since he was playing in in England afterwards that all was A-OK. It's just a matter of whether Wings had to pick the car up in Florence or Milan. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favourite.
Rob, we've got a few things we got to tidy up first, right? Okay, some big thank yous. Thank you to Billy Joe, Colin, Mick for all that they've given during the last month. It is a thankless task. They did it with grace and they provided illumination. So thanks, gents. You're welcome. About it. For those who've been checking out our social media activities, the cover art, etc. That work was done by a brilliant man named Kevin May. So thank you, Kevin. Rob, you got to thank your uncle for all those little stings. Oh yes, Robert Webster. I think it really added a nice little bit of uh, structure to the whole thing. Who else do we need to thank, thank Rob? A shout out to Ronan. He doesn't want any praise, but he designed our logo and did a great job. Shout out to Heather Culkeen, who uh, set up our social media plan and got us up and running. Massively appreciated. Shout out to Danny Carey for the brilliant music pieces oh they've been fantastic enjoyed every one of them and he's been a great help Edwin McGrail helping out with some of our production uh, behind the scenes massive help uh, to us and a big thanks to him for all of his support just want to thank Mike Finnerty of the Mayo News as well John Gunnigan the Mayo GA blog both helped out in the background involved in podcasting with us as well in other projects thanks to Dara Colopy who did a lot of our stats work in the background in the build up to this Thanks to all the guests. Uh, thanks to you guys, our crew. I hope you've uh, enjoyed the experience, lads. Uh, just to reiterate what Kieran said. Thanks to you too, Kieran. We gotta say, and I know the lads will back me up on this, even though you're torturous, for conceiving of this concept. I'm so sorry. For delivering it so well. I really am. For so killing sorry. yourself editing them. For caring about a World Cup nobody should do. <laughs> <laughs> for collecting Sabutio kits in the various colours everyone thank you so much Rob it was a brilliant idea and you've put so much into it so I hope you get your reward for everything you've done uh, lads we're teams yeah it's been a great it's been a great pleasure lads uh, it's been great fun and I think what it's shown us is that no sporting events no tournament isn't rich full of stories and so much to talk about I think we've kind of surprised ourselves we might do another one. And thanks to all the brilliant guests along the way. They've given so much, so we do appreciate it. 100%. Massive help. And that's what made this so special. Every one of you who joined us and uh, who we forced to rewatch games along the way. Listen, folks, if you want to hear more such podcasts like this and you want to hear us back again doing uh, more events, but maybe spread out a little bit over a further span of time, lads, don't panic. <laughs> just uh, just support us by spreading the word, rating us on iTunes, rating us on all your podcast uh, providers and uh, backing us on social media and sharing the podcast on WhatsApp. It's the only way. Send them episode one as well. Don't bother kind of send them selections. Get them stuck in from day one. That's it from us. Thank For you, the everyone. last time, Arrivederci.